And Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, 17, excuse me. And tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus, the giver of life, because we're in this series called Miracle. Now when we hear the word miracle, we think of various things. We sometimes go to our favorite scriptures or, or miracles that Jesus did. And we've been talking about what do these miracles do and how does that pertain to us? You see many of us wearing these shirts that have the word miracle on it. And I know they have, uh, they have them in our fellowship hall. And there's a meaning behind it. And if you ever have an opportunity, just go check it out and, and see what these shirts are all about. But when it comes to a miracle, I'm pretty sure every single one of us have prayed for a miracle. Like when the Detroit Lions are losing. And it's like they go into overtime and you're like, God... Please, some type of miracle. And then Golden Tate catches the ball and somehow miraculously evades two players and flips into the end zone and they win by a touchdown. Miracles like that. And that actually happened this past Sunday. It was awesome because Detroit's my team. But more than just those kinds of prayers, because we pray for those things, we, we kind of throw up prayers sometimes to God for certain miracles to happen. But for the individual that prays for those heartfelt life or death miracles, it's more than a throw-up prayer. I mean, isn't it true that when we pray to God for a, a parking stall, a football game, some type of, you know, thing that, that with or without it, we're okay, versus someone not doing well. I mean, you, you can sense the difference. There is a major difference between those two types of prayers. But for some reason, we still kind of pray the same sentence and include the words, help me, or can you, Lord, or Lord, please. Like we throw those words in there. And the difference between a, a kind of prayer with a football team or, or things like that and, or, and the difference between that and a life-threatening prayer. Or maybe, maybe your child isn't doing well. Maybe they're off somewhere. Maybe they're in college and you worry about them. Maybe, maybe you and your spouse are, are having a difficult time. Your family is not doing well. Someone passes away. Maybe your friend is on the edge and, or maybe some tragic thing happened. Like... Those prayers, they drift apart from each other. They're not in the same category. So when it comes to a miracle, the miracles we're talking about are the kinds of miracles that we really need God for. And if these miracles happen, it is life-changing versus if these don't happen, if, if the Detroit Lions lost, that's okay. They lost before. I could handle that. I got over it. It's fine. It's fine. You lose your parking stall, you go get another one. It's, it's, those, are, those are minor things compared to the major things. And I pray that tonight we would focus on the major things that God is doing in our lives. I mean, why would we go to the God who can change anything and can do any miracle? Why would we go to him without the major prayers, without the major life-changing things that are happening? Well, why couldn't we go to him and say, God, this one is big. I can't do anything about it. I mean, the election was one thing, right? Because many people were praying and saying, okay, God, how do we do this? Because how, how, how are we going to vote? Or I'm just not going to vote. Let me just remind you that if, if, we're not, 
if we're not choosing Jesus, then anyone we're voting for is the lesser of two evils. Because I've heard that often. We're just choosing the lesser of two evils. Well, every president that came in to election, when it came down to the last two, whatever party they were, are still human beings who have fallen from God's, from God's grace unless given by Jesus Christ. Fallen creatures have sinned. And everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But he gives grace to the humble. And so we can, we can look at what we go through as human beings and say, but these things are, are major things. Well, yeah, but we got to be able to kind of separate the, the things that are so much less life-impacting and changing than it is on, on this side. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with a life-or-death situation, the things that used to seem big don't matter anymore. It really doesn't matter. It's like the bigger picture comes into reality and focus when there's a life-threatening thing in my, right before me. When something is that drastic and that dramatic in my life, it, it does something to my perspective. Now, in Matthew chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, you can open it. And if you're already there, that's great. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read that. You, you may have a different version. I'm reading out of the New International Version. This is when Jesus was on the mountain, and it's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became, his clothes, uh, clothes, yeah, became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will, pull up, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, if you know Peter's life, Peter is usually the one that speaks first and then thinks after. So it sounded good, like, Lord, we can build like three Tabernacles actually is, is kind of like the translation. We can build these three big tents that, that, that we, can, we can have here, and it, it'll be so good. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, while Peter was still speaking, God interrupted while Peter was still speaking, this bright cloud covered them. And that, that's when the voice of God came. While Peter was still speaking. Interesting. When the disciples heard this, in verse 6, they fell down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So, God says, This is my Son, whom I love. And he gives them three simple things. Listen to him. Simple. Just listen to him. So, Jesus comes back to them and says, Get up. Why are you afraid? Because they're, they're bowing down. They're afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, that sounds like the first thing that Jesus would tell them. But in the context, it's just the reality of them falling to the ground. So it wasn't, this, this, is, this is the instruction that God is saying to listen to. He's just telling them, get up. Don't be afraid. And then they continued with him. But as they're, as they're walking, the first thing Jesus says after God says, listen to him. The first thing Jesus says is, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, the disciples, well, just those three, Peter, James, and John, they're, they're not at a place yet of understanding what Jesus is talking about. That he's actually telling them what's going to happen. That you don't need to write anything down. Don't, don't tell any, anyone anything yet until after I am raised from the dead. So Jesus is actually telling them, one, he's going to die. Two, he's going to come back to life. For Peter, James, and John to fully understand and grasp that, they just weren't ready for it yet. For Jesus to actually tell them, do not tell anyone what you have seen until... The Son of Man has been raised from the dead. For him to even say that means this is very important. So important that in verse 22, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So Jesus says it a second time. In other words, when you say something twice, it's kind of like, I, I'm really serious about this. Is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying things. I'm being serious about this. And at this time, now the disciples are grieved because he says these things. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to be raised back to life. He, he is life. He is the resurrection. What is very interesting is that Jesus, being all God but all man, was moved with compassion when it came to humanity. We're going to take a look at a couple of scriptures that Jesus was moved with compassion before performing his miracles, especially the miracles that led to life. And his heart towards humanity was so displayed in everything that he did, especially before the miracles that he performed. He was moved with compassion. The reason why he's so moved with compassion when it comes to humanity is because he's the giver of life. That's what moves him. Because he gives life, when he sees life being taken away and being diminished, he's moved with compassion. Now, we could say, wait a minute, why doesn't he just keep everybody alive forever? Why don't we just live forever? Yeah, that was the plan from the very beginning, and then mankind blew it. So now God says, hang on. I created you for eternity, so we will still live forever. We just have to pass through this world. So the people that have passed before us, 
God knew long before they were born that they were eternal. He created them with eternity in mind. The problem is we're still here in temporal bodies in a temporary world, and when a loved one passes on, we miss them because they're no longer here. But the Bible tells us, for those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. See, they're not here with us, so we miss them. And we're, we're, we're trapped in this thing called time, or we're here in this thing called time. All our loved ones who have gone home to be with the Lord, they're with the Lord. They're in eternity. So we're created for eternity. We, we're not going to last here on this earth. And when God brought us Jesus and Jesus performed these miracles, people began to wonder, who in the world is this guy? Now, when Jesus said, don't write these, don't, don't tell anyone about me, the disciples and even the authors of the New Testament waited until after Jesus died and rose from the grave some 30 to 60 years after. So although when we read the Bible, it seems like it's written in, in, a, in the context of the now where they were, it was actually later on. Now, you might be thinking, well, why? So if it was 30 to 60 years later, then why would they wait that long? Well, if you think about it, when the, when the disciples were there with Jesus, the word of mouth was the way to speak things. And, and that was the way to kind of get information around to people. They were eyewitnesses. So they didn't need written documents because they were eyewitnesses. Like when you come home from work and your loved ones, your children or your spouse says, hey, how was work? Hang on. You don't write it down and say, hey, hang on. No, you, you physically speak to them. You tell them because you're there. And so the disciples, they were there. Hundreds of people witnessed Jesus dying on the cross and then coming back to life. So they, the word spread out. But once they began to die, all these witnesses, and the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem, now they needed written accounts so that they could educate people on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So that's why we have the written word. There was a, a leper who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, and, and the Bible says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, when Mark wrote these words, these are, remember now, this is years after this was performed. But Mark remembers this took place. The Bible also tells us that if, if everything about Jesus was written, there wouldn't be enough books, libraries, to hold all these books that Jesus, all the things that Jesus did. So even though we may read, oh, Jesus healed three people here, two here, raised three people from the grave, there, is, there are probably hundreds of hundreds more. We don't know. All we know is they, did, they could not write everything that Jesus did. And that is in a time span of only three years. I mean, think of us, those of you who journal. We have a lot of journals. We have books. In three years, Jesus did so many things that there would not be enough libraries to contain the books that would be written about him. This is phenomenal. This is Jesus 
who performed miracle after miracle and still does the same thing today. He still has that power. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew writes this because Matthew could see, wait a minute, Jesus was moved with compassion. I remember that. And he writes this down. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus was moved with compassion. I got I to gotta state that because this is who Jesus is. He's moved with compassion. In Luke chapter 7, verse Verses 11 through 16, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Don't cry, he said. Then he went up. And touched where they were carrying what they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Now, I don't know why Jesus chose this one guy over maybe some others. I don't know why he does that today where he heals one and not the other. I I don't think anyone can actually explain that. But in the infinite knowledge and wisdom that God has, there is a reason. We just don't know it. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus was moved with compassion and he has heart towards humanity when one is healed and the other isn't. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 53, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, so did other people. The tombs opened up and people came back to life. He is just that powerful, the giver of life. Hard for us to understand because we don't see that happening right here where we live. We don't physically see that with our eyes. There's a story in John chapter 11, one of the most favorite stories, and I want you to turn there. John chapter 11. And if you, you know this story, you've, you've heard it over and over, how, how this man Lazarus came back to life. Lazarus being dead for four days is raised from the grave. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. So he had not died yet. He was just sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, I'm sure Jesus is going to do something because he loves this guy. This, we say it like this here in Hawaii. This is his brother. 
Like you drop everything for your brother. That this man Lazarus was loved by Jesus. Now everyone was loved by Jesus, but for some reason they pointed that out. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So that's the foundation. Jesus already said this, this sickness will not end in death. So keep that in mind. He already, he already stated that. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you to death, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who calls, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for, if, for, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, then that's good. He'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, earlier he just said the sickness is not going to end in death, but now he's saying he's dead. It almost sounds contradictive. And for your sake... I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, it, we know the end result. But right now what is happening is the disciples are trying to, like, piece things together. Wait, you said he's not going to die, but now you're saying he's dead. But now you're saying this is good that it happened for us? It's for our benefit? How does this help us? Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus now confirmed comforts the sisters of Lazarus. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So three was already bad. Four was like, this is already decaying. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if, because we say that a lot, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We've said that before. Lord Jesus, if you did this, then this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you did this, then it would have been better. Lord, if you, if you did it this way, I, I, I would have been more pleased. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. Whatever you ask, I know that God will give it. So what Martha didn't do is just stop at the if. She also added in the but. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die then he asks her a question. Do you believe this? Remember now, circumstance had not changed. And he asks her, do you believe this? And she answers, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. 
After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, here it is again, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm pretty sure Mary and Martha had that conversation. I'm pretty sure. Remember now, Jesus didn't show up until days later. First, Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha, believing that Jesus is going to come and heal him, but then he dies. I'm sure they had that conversation if Jesus was here. I'm sure we, we had that conversation if Jesus was real, if God did love me, if God did care. Jesus, if you do love me. We've all had that conversation. They're no different. They had that conversation. Mary says the same thing. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In the shortest verse in the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Tell me he doesn't have compassion on us. He knows Lazarus is going to come back to life. He's not weeping for Lazarus. He's hurting with Mary and Martha and everyone else. Jesus hurts with us. He goes, he goes through the pain and suffering with us. He hurts too. He has compassion. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In other words, Jesus just doesn't say it. He shows it. But some of them said, could he not? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? You're always going to have people who say things like that. You're always going to have people who will say things about you when you have a belief in Jesus Christ. You're, you're always going to have that. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Here's Martha. But Lord... The sister, uh, but Lord, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now, this is Martha, Lazarus' sister. She's only speaking what is supposedly truth, what she knows of, what is of history, what, what her experience is, what she's witnessed before, what she knows of. She's only speaking what she knows of. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. This is, this is like the moment that everything pauses. Like everyone is in anticipation. What is happening? He's moving the stone. What's going to happen? And Jesus pauses and directs everyone's attention to Abba, to the Father. Only Jesus mentions God in this way, Daddy. It's, it's, a, it's a showstopper. Everyone's silent at this point. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this 
for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. You know the author of this book, John, writes this book for the sole purpose that people would believe. That's, that's, that's why he wrote these words, is so that people would believe. And so he puts this story in here. In verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus has so much power, he has to mention Lazarus by name, lest everyone come out. So he says, Lazarus, come out. Just making sure it's Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Like, I, I, I can't imagine what people were going through, especially for Mary and Martha. What was happening and, and, and the, those who were skeptical. But here's, here's what happens, though. You have those who are like Mary and Martha. They're touched because their brother is alive. Then you have others who are mad at Jesus because you didn't do that for my brother. Then you have those who are skeptical, like, no, they planned this. They were that close. You're always going to have people who, because your belief in Jesus, will love you. Then you'll have people who, because of your belief in Jesus, will hate you. Then you'll have people who, because of your love for Jesus, will be skeptical about you. They're just watching you from a distance. And the moment you make one mistake, they're saying, see, I thought you was a Christian. I thought you believed in Jesus. Oh, yeah, oh, oh you go to church, or oh, you read your Bible, you carry your Bible, you act like that. You're always going to have those three categories that never changed who Jesus was. So the Jesus that lives in us constantly will move us forward from glory to glory until the day we see him face to face towards perfection. He's perfecting us. We'll never be perfect until the day we see him face to face. You know, these stories that we read and, and all the miracles that Jesus performed really comes from the foundation that Jesus is the resurrection. He is the giver of life. Here's some things that we can learn from these stories that have been written. The first thing is that Jesus gives life. That's who he is. Jesus gives life. In the end, he will always give life. He doesn't take life. We think life here on this earth when someone goes, I know we say it in, this, in, the, in the context of God needed another angel or, or oh God give, God takes away. I understand the, that context. But in the end, he gives life. In order for us to have eternal life, we have to end temporary life. That's the only way we'll have eternal life. We all long for heaven. We just don't want to die. That's the only way we get there. It's like, I want to go to heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Yeah, woo Oh, wait, 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 wait. What, what, what do we have to do? Wait, I got to die. I got to die. Yeah, you got to cross it. You got to die first. So, wait, wait, wait. So, if, if I die, so I'm not going to have this life? Nope. See, that's, that's the threshold right there. That's the tough part. But, but here's, here's what's beautiful about God. He says, you can experience that my kingdom would come, my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you would live a life here on this earth as if you're going to transition into heaven without the fear of death. 
that you can live in such a way. Now, I understand many of us, we don't fear dying. We fear how we're going to die. That's the one. It's like, I'm not scared to die, but wait, wait, how? how? Like, I like going to be quick, yeah, like, like fast, yeah, and I like, like, you know, I, don't, I can choose between this and this. I, I can choose this one. And God says, we're created for eternity. There's, there has to be that turning point. Now, we suffer here on this earth. No doubt about that. There is suffering in the world, and we pray that those who are suffering would, would suffer no more. We, we, we understand that. It just brings us back to the fall of mankind. It brings us back to that day where Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they disobeyed God. That's the repercussion of sin. But thanks be to God that he sent us Jesus Christ to eradicate, erase the sinful nature of man so that we could be covered by his blood and reap eternal life and have, have that reward that was first given to us the day God thought about us. In the end, he is still the giver of life. We just don't see that in this temporary world. Jesus made it plain and clear. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they may die. They're still going to live. He's saying dying is required to live. We even use that principle in, as a believer that I got to die to self so that someone else may live. Okay, I want to I I say this, but, but if I die to self, maybe that other person can be encouraged. I, I want to do this. I want to seek revenge, but Lord, that's not who you're making me to be. So I, I got to die to self so that someone else may live. Well, I don't want people to take advantage of me. But at the same time, Lord, you're calling me to die to self so that someone else may live. How do I do that, Lord? Well, he also says this. Here's the second thing. Regardless of the scoreboard, regardless of what life looks like, Jesus has compassion on humanity. This is what we learn from our Savior, whom we call our Lord. He has compassion on humanity. We get blinded by what's happening today rather than what Jesus has already done. If you ever doubt God, just always go back to what did, what did Jesus already do? Died on the cross, rose from the grave to give us eternal life. He, he already proved his love for us. God already showed us how much he loves us. So the book of Romans tells us. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ still died for us. He didn't wait for us to become good because he knew we couldn't. And then the last thing what we can learn from these miracles is that Jesus was moved with compassion and wants us to do the same. Jesus was so moved with compassion but he also wants us to do the same. We live in a day and age where compassion doesn't, doesn't look so good. That there are, there are people who need compassion. Yeah, but they don't give compassion. I mean, you should see, see the people I work with and the people that I'm around, man. They don't deserve compassion. They don't, I mean, if anything, they deserve to get fired. They deserve nothing. They don't deserve Christmas presents or anything. They don't deserve anything. And I'm thinking, I wonder how much I deserve from God. Like, I wonder if I was to sit before God and say, hey, God, just letting you know, this is what I do. And uh, it's what I've done in my life, all the good things. So I, I deserve your blessings. So God, according to what I've done, 
Can you give me what I deserve? There's no way possible I would ever sit before God and say, can you just give me what I deserve? (laughs) I think all of us deserve eternal separation from God because of our evil. But God's grace and his mercy says, I'm going to withhold what you deserve, and I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And that's my love, my compassion, my miracles. He's a life giver. In the end, he will always give life in our marriage. But somebody has to die. Not physically. Just checking. Somebody was like, hey, I get insurance on the guy. No. <laughs> if, you, if you die to self, if you die to self, and when you die to self, this is God's promise. Life will happen. When you die to self, life will happen. You're going to have the if, and you're going to have the but. Some of you will always bring in the but. Sorry, it sounds bad, but, it, but we do. We say to God, yeah, but what about him? Yeah, but what about her? Yeah, but if this happened, yeah, but if... Just, just have that contrite heart, the, the heart that is, is moldable and say, Lord... Yes, I will obey. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I I don't see the bigger picture, but you do. And you are the giver of life. You are the resurrection. So, Lord, can you resurrect my marriage? Can you resurrect my family? Can you resurrect my finances? Can you resurrect my soul, my emotions, my mind? Can you resurrect that which has been dead for possibly years or even decades? Lord, can you do this? And you know what he says? Am I willing Anything is possible for him who believes. It's the whole point why John wrote that book. He wants us to believe. He saw it firsthand. He had to write this because he knew 2,000 years later we'd be here wondering, is there a Savior? Is there someone to help us? For some of you, after last night's election, you're like, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. I'm so glad We never have to elect Jesus. He doesn't need elections. He's always on the throne, always in control. He always knows what's happening. He's sovereign. But he includes all of us to be a part of his kingdom and reminds us that we are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your flavor. You go out and you let everyone know how good he is because he is the giver of life. Amen. And bow your heads with me. Close your Bibles. And I'm going to ask Grayson to come to the keyboard. Let's pray tonight together. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you for being the giver of life. Or there are times, Lord, where we doubt, and that happens, but doubt should always drive us closer to you. There are times where we don't really listen to what you're saying. We just, we feel sometimes. And so our feelings, our emotions get in the way of what you're saying. But really, when it comes back to it, we got to remember that when God the Father speaks, that this is my Son in whom I love. Listen to Him.
That when we can remember that, Lord, it's for our good. When we feel like Lazarus, maybe we're in the tomb and maybe we've been feeling dead for four days and no one's around. It's complete darkness. We're trapped. We're closed in. It's ugly. It's odorous. It's, it's filthy and dirty and quiet. No one's around. May we kind of wait with anticipation that you would call us by name and tell us, come out. Unwrap the grave clothes that has been holding us down for so long. And then let us go. That we're free from the sting of death and sin because of what you have done. So we pray for that, Lord. Thank you for giving us compassion and showing your compassion towards us. May we do the same with other people. And may we be people who, as we represent you in this season of our life, here in this temporary world, that we would remind people and allow people to understand how great you are, that you are the giver of life. We can't explain everything, Lord, and we don't have enough wisdom to do that. However, we can lead people to you so that they too can experience what it means to be in a relationship with you, the one who gives life. And so we thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for believing in us so much that you would die for us so that we could have eternal life. Because in the end, Lord, you're the giver of life. And for that, we are eternally grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Could you welcome up Kat and Eric as they close us up in prayer? Thank you, Pastor Sheldon. Wow. What a great message. What a great message. You know, um, as we're sitting here listening to him talk about Jesus, the giver of life, I couldn't help but hear the word compassion over and over again. And to think that Jesus, the almighty, powerful Jesus, has so much compassion for each and every one of us. That is so overwhelming. Yeah, um, you know, it's so amazing because, you know, Jesus, God, he's the giver of life. Like mothers, you know, there's a difference, right, between, oh, I love your kids so much, right? I love your son or your daughter. But when it's like, I love my son, I love my daughter, we are God's sons and daughters. And he has compassion for us, for us to just pray and ask, you know, we pray big prayers and we just say, God, can you do this for me? Change my life. And he's like, yeah. I'm God, like, believe in me. And if you just believe, then it's like, yeah, he may not answer you the way that you want him to, but, you know, God has his own timing. And if you just ask him and you believe, then it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I love you, son, daughter. And he calls us by name. That's just amazing. Like, wow. Like a miracle, like when a a mother prays for her children. Big prayers, not just, oh, please make she come home on time and, you know, not make me mad today. But big prayers like, Lord, help my children to come to know you and boom. You know, I mean, it happens. And for Lazarus, I was thinking about the story of Lazarus. You know, Jesus could have come back when he was still sick, but he didn't. You know, and there are some people when he was healing other people, it was like, oh, maybe they weren't as sick as they thought they were. And that's why 
Jesus could heal them. And so there had to be some significance to Lazarus being dead for four days, and then Jesus came back. And I thought, well, how many of us have heard of people, oh, yeah, they went to church, they accepted Jesus, they're now, you know, but they were already nice people, so you're like, oh, yeah, they're nice people, though. But how many of you know somebody who wasn't so nice, who made bad decisions, who has, you know, not been on the right road all their life, and then they come to know Jesus, and then they change. Isn't that more of a miracle? Sometimes it takes the harder road to really get the message home for us, you know, cynical people, to look around and believe that Jesus is the giver of life, and he is the ultimate miracle maker. And I just love that we get to be here all together today as a church family, all standing miracles, each and every one of you is a miracle just for being here because Jesus is our giver of life. Amen?